Many of you listen to Novel Marketing on a podcast app on your phone, but some of you read the blog version of each episode. And while I often refer to the blog version as show notes, our approach to creating the blog version of this podcast has developed over time to be more than just show notes. It's actually a blog version of the content from the podcast. And I will say that turning a podcast episode into a blog post is not just a click of a button. It's not just taking an AI transcript and copying and pasting it. It takes quite a bit of work to make this happen each week, especially if you want that blog post to rank on Google. So how does that happen? How do you take an audio interview and turn it into a search-optimized blog post? We'll find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a living writing books worth talking about. And this episode is for any author with a podcast, and I imagine it will be pretty helpful for authors with blogs as well, because we're going to be sharing a lot of blogging tips. And so this is more than just AI. While we do use AI in the first step, we have a very real, very human intelligence who takes that transcription and turns it into a blog post. She's an author, a copywriter, a speaker, and a Bible teacher. And she's the author of three books, numerous articles, and her writing has been published on the Huffington Post, Dayspring's, and she is the blogifier of the blog posts here at Author Media. Shauna Lettler, welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much. It's fun to be here. So this is the voice of the person who's been making the blog posts for you. And before <laughs> we talk into how to do it, we should probably talk about why. Why is it that we take the audio and turn it into blog posts? Well, I think one of the first reasons is that people have different learning styles. Some people prefer to listen. Some people prefer to read. Some people just have different time constraints. If you, you know, have a desk job or you can't listen, you have to be aware of your surroundings, but you could still possibly read on your computer. Then you can work and read at the same time. Blog post is also far more shareable, I think, than a podcast episode. It's just much easier to copy and paste the URL of a blog post and stick it in a text or an email or social media. Whereas with a podcast, you just have so many different players that I might send you an Apple podcast, but you listen on Spotify and you don't have the app, so you have to create an account. And by that time, you're probably not going to listen. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a blog post go viral where a social network will pick it up and people are talking about it on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And we'll, I'll see a spike in the stats for the blog version that often does not result in a spike in stats for the audio version. The, the, the audio listening audience is very stable. It's about the same number of listeners to this episode as the listeners of last episode. And yet the blog post can go high or low. And, you know, we send an email out saying, hey, there's a new blog post. And that email is very forwardable. <laughs> People will forward that email to their friends and colleagues. And if we didn't have that blog post, it wouldn't be nearly as shareable. And our growth, the growth of listeners would be much lower. And in fact, you listening, how did you first find out about novel marketing? Probably somebody forwarded you an email <laughs> of one of the blog posts. You probably discovered the blog first and then came into the podcast after that. It's not how everyone comes in, but it's how a lot of people discover the show. Another really great reason to have a blog post version is the searchability of blog posts and just being able to find something. 
a lot of times in our author media.social community, people will say, hey, Thomas talked about this one thing or this one author or certain title of a book, but the podcast episode wasn't necessarily about that author or that book. But let's say you remember the title and it was All Marketers Are Liars. And you can't remember who is by and you can't remember what episode it was. But if you just go to the website, there's a little search bar at the top with a little magnifying glass. And if you just type in, in quotes, All Marketers Are Liars, it will pull up every podcast episode where Thomas has referred to that book, as long as it got included in the transcript or in the final blog post. And I use the search bar on the top of Novel Marketing every day, multiple times a day. (laughs) If you are asking a question in the community, I am probably just back here by the little search bar typing in your question and thinking, oh, yes, I know this one will be helpful. This one will be helpful. So that's just a huge advantage of having a text version. Another advantage of having a blog version is that it makes the content more applicable for people around the world. So it's very interesting. If I look at the analytics of the audio version, it's very dominant in English-speaking countries. Because if you grow up listening to English, listening to audio may be even easier than reading it on a screen. But for people where English is their second language, listening can be tricky. And maybe some guests have an accent that they've never heard before, and it's even harder to understand. And as, as I look at my stats, our sixth most popular country right now is Nigeria. <laughs> it's like the Philippines above that. And India is really high. And these are people who, some of them may be native English speakers. These are countries that have had some English contact, but a lot of them, their English is probably not super good. And the text version's a lot easier. And you could, they can have the text version translated, right? The Google Translate will translate that text version into their local language as well. And so it opens up the audience to far more people to have that text representation of the audio event. That's super cool. I've been studying Spanish a little myself, and I find it far easier to read than to listen to. So that's, yeah, that's I hadn't thought of that, but that's fantastic. And another thing, you're talking about search, right? Our website being searchable inside the site is really useful, but it's also helpful in that Google sends us traffic. So the top pages of authormedia.com is not the homepage. <laughs> right now, the top page is an article about how to add hyperlinks to WordPress. And then this number two page is the episode I did a few weeks ago about how to write better than ChatGPT. So the blog post version of that episode has been ranking on Google for some really high keywords. And those people would never have discovered it through a Google search if it had only been audio because Google is very biased against podcasts. And it doesn't even like podcast transcripts. So some people tell you, oh, if you put your podcast transcript on your website, Google will send you traffic. And I've never seen anyone show numbers to that regard. If you want to actually get traffic from Google, it has to be more than just a transcript. It has to be a blog post. So we should probably talk about that. What's the difference between a transcript (laughs) and a blog post? Because we run the audio through Descript or through Happy Scribe, or through Sonics. Usually we use Descript. So walk us through your process of taking that wall of text and turning it into a blog post. Okay. Well, the tools that you mentioned, Happy Scribe, Sonics, and Descript, we've used all three of them. And I feel like they're really pretty good transcription tools. And they're really fairly similar as far as the product that they produce. I know, From my perspective, with the transcripts, they're all real similar. When you get an AI 
generated transcript. It is accurate in that it has recorded nearly every word that was said, but it is not an enjoyable or easy read. And if you posted the transcript on your blog or on your website, people would bounce like they would read, maybe try to wade through a sentence and then they would be off. When it transcribes sounds or words, we might say, hey, I like that because it's cool. Well, it doesn't say because it tra- it transcribes C-U-Z, because. Same with wanna, like want to, or gonna, going to, or kinda, kind of. So These um, are all words I use, by the way, which is why Shauna <laughs> knows them. <laughs> well, we all use them. I'm going to go there because it's my favorite place. Everybody, it's just how we speak. It also does not know how to handle proper nouns. So for instance, Thomas Instant, Thomas Umstamp. Um, (laughs) A bunch of really fun things come from Thomas's last name and and nothing's ever the same. It's always just kind of fumbling with that. Same with book titles, author names. And those proper nouns are often the most important thing that somebody's looking for in the show notes, right? So maybe you've listened to a podcast and you're like, what was the name of that transcription service you recommended a couple minutes ago. I kind of remember what it was, and but I don't remember exactly the name. So you're trying to find the name. And if that name is wrong in the transcript, the transcript becomes useless because the one piece of information you needed from the transcript is often the one piece of information the transcript won't get with the pure AI transcripted version. And the other issue is that most people don't talk in complete sentences. Their ideas roll together. So how do you navigate that, right? You've got a paragraph and descript will insert some periods here and there, but often they don't really work. So what's the process of taking that paragraph of words and turning it into actual sentences? Well, I always begin by listening to the entire interview. So I get the tone and direction of the whole thing. Because a lot of times we'll circle back to a topic. And so When you're writing that down, you know, let's say we're talking about SEO here, and then we're going to talk about a super good book about this. But then when we get down there, we're going to talk about SEO again. And that just doesn't work in writing. So I might take that comment from later and put it back up in the SEO comment. So we use the language like I'm going to edit the transcript. I would say I do less editing of the transcript than rewriting or rearranging. Rearranging ideas, a lot of it too is just rewording. We might say something like, oh, I read this book called Unbroken, and I don't remember who wrote it, but it was about this Olympian turned POW. And I can't remember his name either. But I do remember that the first paragraph of that book was absolutely breathtaking and really painted a great picture in my mind. So that's how we would hear it. And I would listen to that. And I would go and look up the title and the author. And so then I might write one sentence instead of three, the opening paragraphs of Unbroken by Lauren Hillebrand have a stellar opening and is a fabulous example of concrete writing or something like that. And so instead of 40 words, you have 15. It's a more focused version of the text because it's being adapted. It's kind of like when you adapt a book to a film, you have to often cut characters and simplify it because you have only an hour and a half or two hours to tell a story that the audiobook version of is 10 hours long or 15 hours long. So you can't just copy and paste the book story onto the film. You have to make editorial decisions as to what should make it in. And so often this includes simplification and clarification (laughs) and sometimes a little bit of research to figure out what it was that we were trying to look up or trying to say. So now you have good, clean sentences. You've gone through the AI transcription. You've cleaned up the sentences. 
you've shortened and you've focused and you've taken maybe a 5,000 word transcript and you've cut it down to 4,000 words, maybe 3,500 words, but it's still not a blog post yet. So one element of blog posts, good blog posts, and so here's a blogging tip, is headings. So walk us through your strategy of adding headings to the blog to make it more scannable. I do find it a little tricky in interviews to add headings, but I will just look at the general topic of those few paragraphs or of what the speaker was saying. And I'm not always able to boil it down to three or four words, but I do try. Like, for example, in this, I might say, what tools can I use for audio transcription? That might be my heading. And then underneath, I'll put the paragraph where you talked about Sonics and AI and Happy Scribe and Descript. I try to sometimes turn it into a question. I don't always, but a lot of times when people are scanning, they are having questions in their head. And when they see, what are the tools? Oh, yeah, I have that question. And then they can just look through that paragraph. And particularly in a paragraph like that, they would all be linked and blue and underlined so they'd be really easy to see. That's how I try to insert headings. For SEO purposes, at least the SEO tool we use, Yoast SEO, prefers that you have a heading at free 300 words, which doesn't always work out very nicely with interviews, but headings break up the text for the reader. They also, as far as I understand, and you may have to correct me, Thomas, but headings are also searchable and indexable by Google. And so it's your heading one, so that means you're the title of your post, your heading two, which would be like your question, what tools can I use for AI? And then I think it indexes H3 also, which would be like the next level down in your, if you think of it like an outline, it'd be your next level down. And I think it indexes those as well. So in that example, I might make Sonics a heading. I might make Descript and Scribe a heading and then put a little paragraph, a little explanation about each of those underneath. So that's how, that's how I try to use, use headings. It's a little bit easier in a solo episode because you do the work for me. <laughs> Um, and you kind of think of your own. But oftentimes, if there's, you know, a really large chunk of text, I will try to break that up with headings, just to make it more readable and more ser- searchable and scannable. Because people don't read blog posts, they skim blog posts. So a typical episode is 30 minutes long, 40 minutes long. The average amount of time somebody spends reading a blog post version of an episode is often between five and seven minutes long. Hmm. And so they're jumping in and out of the content. And so the heading has to sell the next 300 words and convince somebody it's worth reading. (laughs) So because they're trying to skim it and find the most interesting bits. And so headings are how humans find the interesting bits for them. And Google does index the whole blog post, but headings get bonus points. So the words in the headings index more and the words in the heading one and in the title index the most. So if you're trying to rank for a certain phrase, you want to put that in your H1, which for WordPress is going to be the post title. And it'll also put that in the title tag. So this does really impact SEO, search engine optimization, ranking high on Google. One key to good ranking is good headings. And the headings don't describe the content. That's a classic mistake. They sell the content. (laughs) So you're trying to convince somebody this next section is worth reading, which is why, like what you're saying, adding questions can be really powerful because it makes people curious or it can. Because if they have that question, they're like, ooh, now I want to read that paragraph and get the answer. 
Now, there's more to a blog post than just headings and text. So let's talk about bullets. I feel like bullets are the hardest thing to add to a podcast transcript, but people love bullets in blog posts. So how do you look for a sentence that's bulletable? I love the word bulletable. Thomas and I make up words, so we blogify, we do blogification, and now we have bulletable content. (laughs) I love it. So a lot of times in a written sentence, it would just be a series of words and commas with a coordinating conjunction. Depending on how much they say, how much is explained after each of those terms, you could do those in bullets. If there's a lot of explanation, I would make each one of those a heading and then put a paragraph underneath. But if it's just a one word and a very brief explanation, I would make those bullet points. Yeah. And the advantage of bullets is that it adds breathability and adds some white yes. space. It makes the text less intimidating for somebody who's in a rush because people often are in this kind of manic rush when they're reading blog posts, which is a very different attitude when they're listening to a podcast. When people are listening to a podcast, they're a little bit more relaxed. Maybe they're doing something else. They're washing dishes and they're listening to the podcast in the background. Whereas when they're reading a blog post, they're looking for something really specific and they're trying to find that thing. And there's a little bit more intensity. There's a little bit more intention, but also a higher expectation of finding. (laughs) So you really have to adapt to that different approach that people approach the blog posts with. And so bullets are a good tool to do that. Whether it's bullets or numbers, it's the same approach. Mm -hmm. And those are both tools that make a blog post more readable. Now, another element of a good blog post is images. So walk us through your process for doing that. A lot of times Thomas will start a podcast with a really strong metaphor, which makes it super easy to find a photo. So you often talk about the concept of reaping and sowing. And so that's not hard to find a graphic with seeds in the ground or a hoe or something. So I always look for the metaphors that would paint a picture in my mind or in a listener's mind or in a reader's mind. I do find it sometimes hard to find pictures that aren't just silly or cheesy. It's very tempting to have typewriter photos for every blog post. So we have to really fight that temptation. Yes. (laughs) So I think metaphors are are key. And actually, I think that if you're writing a blog post and there's no metaphors to draw from, if finding the stock photo is hard, it can be an indication the blog post isn't ready yet. Because if you're really taking your ideas and making them concrete, the photos should be easy to add. And this is one downside of our current approach, because if I had to pick out the photos, then I would know, oh, finding a photo here is hard. I need to work a little bit harder on making this understandable and finding those good metaphors that can work. And so I, by outsourcing it, I'm actually doing myself a little bit of a disservice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Shauna, feel free to want to be like, hey, this needs some more concrete imagery. I, I don't know what to put here. But also like diagrams. This is one element where a blog is stronger. If you're referring to data or a chart, sometimes in a podcast, I have to really go out of my way to talk through a statistic or describe what a chart looks like as I'm talking about data. Whereas with the blog version, you can just put the chart. You can just put the graph right there on the blog version. Yeah, one example of that is you multiple times have talked to us about the four quadrants of being time rich and cash poor. And that is a really difficult paragraph to read just because of the terminology is not familiar and it's kind of similar. And so a year ago or so, I thought I'm just going to create this graphic. And so sometimes the graphics that I use are ones that I create, although design is not my forte. But 
I mean, I guess I can do a quadrant. So <laughs> I did try to put those things in a quadrant. And I have used that graphic several times because you often refer to it. So you can find a metaphor picture or you can create a graphic. And like you said, using book covers. And also, I should point out, we get our stock photos primarily from deposit photos. And I think we'll have an affiliate link for them kind of in the sweet spot of good value for stock photos. There are cheaper options, there are more expensive options, but my current favorite go-to source for stock photos is depositphotos.com. But so if you're talking about a book, that book's book cover is a really obvious thing <laughs> to put in a blog post. And sometimes if I have a lot of book examples, the images take care of themselves because you just, you know, here's example one and here's the book. You put the cover and then later on, I'm talking about a different book and you put the cover and that works really well. And authors love it when you feature their book cover in your blog post. If you're starting a podcast on Amish romance and each episode is talking about a different author or a different book, put a bunch of book covers on the blog post and make those book covers clickable to go and buy the book on Amazon. You'll Get yourself a lot of goodwill doing that, not just with the authors, but also with the readers who are now discovering new books and want to go and buy those books. I think something else when we do the multiple, I don't know, a month ago, maybe I made some graphics that put three book covers right next to each other. And I think that gives a really good idea of how you talk about whether a book cover fits the genre. And when you see them all three together, you start to see themes or recurring elements. And you can say, oh, I see what he's talking about now, about those covers being similar, but not the same. Now, another thing that you use to break up the content, and I've noticed you doing this more recently, is quotes, where you'll pull out a single sentence and you'll let it float in its own line as a quote, which will really break up the paragraphs. Because I, I don't typically influence this. I'm always curious what you pick as the kind of key quote if you do pick one. So how do you go about picking which quotes to highlight? Well, usually I just pick short and pithy quotes. <laughs> so you you <laughs> often short say, sentence. <laughs> yes, you often have very pithy lines. Maybe my favorite, which I know that I've used multiple times is you can't fix a bad book with good marketing or good marketing helps a bad book fail faster. Those are two that come to mind. So any sort of short, pithy, or memorable sentence makes a great pull quote. Yeah, and that's a feature in WordPress. The quote icon is one a lot of authors don't use because you don't typically use that kind of feature when writing a book. But you can just highlight a sentence, you click the little quote icon, and WordPress will handle the design of it for you automatically and pull that quote out. And you can use that both for highlighting your own quotes if you have your own phrase that you want to highlight. But it's also a really great way if you're quoting somebody else to put their quote and separate it. So it's very obvious that these are the words of C.S. Lewis or Mark Twain or whoever you're quoting rather than your words. And those are actually two different tools in WordPress. The pull quote has a little different design. And then the quote feature where you would put a longer quote has a little bit different design. Yeah, we didn't used to have multiple options. Back when I was a kid, there was just <laughs> the one. The so <laughs> WordPress gets a little bit better every year. It's fun to watch. Okay, so you start off with the transcript and descript. And I imagine you're doing your first pass in descript or in sonics because those tools allow you to click on a word and play the audio for that word, which allows you to fix it if the 
AI transcription is wrong. At what point do you pull the text from the tool that has the audio synced with it into a word processor like Google Docs or Microsoft Word? Well, I'm going to throw you a curveball and tell you that I just export it as it is into a Word document. I'm familiar with Word. I know where all the tools are. So that feels faster and more efficient to me. And then I keep the audio open in a screen beside my Word document. What alerts my attention is like, what was that word? What did he say? So I've got to go back to the audio and play it. Sometimes I'll play it multiple times. And then if I really just, I can't understand the word, I'll have to email Thomas and say, what were you saying here? Yeah. And so now you're doing the editing in Microsoft Word. At what point do you pull the Microsoft Word version and put it into WordPress? I do my first pass. I'll rearrange all the information, reword the sentences. I do a second pass where I go back and look for my own typos, or if I have a repeated sentence, or if I've copied something and I haven't deleted it or whatever, just general typos. Then my third pass, I run it through Grammarly. And I am to the point where I cannot, do not publish anything, whether it's a social media post or an email of my own or an email of yours without running it through Grammarly. And Grammarly is not perfect, but it is more perfect than my eyeballs. (laughs) So (laughs) I am terrible at catching my own typos, which I think a lot of writers are, but I feel like I'm worse than (laughs) a lot of people. So Grammarly will catch silly things that I miss. One thing, Grammarly is still AI, and it still requires a human influence. If you have the word peruse or pursue, and they're both spelled right, Grammarly's not going to pick that up, but you will you will still be in error if you use the wrong word. So I run it through Grammarly. I consider that kind of my third pass. And then I copy it from Grammarly and paste it into WordPress. So you're not doing any editing in WordPress, really? Well, I wouldn't say that. I do, the, I do all the formatting in WordPress. So I paste it into WordPress, and then I go through. And a lot of times when I'm editing in that first and second pass, I'm adding headings. And I can see like, oh, this is a long chunk of text. I know it's going to ask me for a heading. So I will just bold it at that point. And then when I paste it into WordPress, there's some really quick shortcut keys that let you turn a line into an H2 heading. And it's just quite a bit faster to just do it with those shortcut keys in WordPress. And at that point also is when I'm adding images and the pull quotes. And you kind of get a feel for how it's going to appear on someone's computer screen. So I might make some other edits. I feel like I'm tweaking it until it goes live and sometimes after. (laughs) And I sometimes will go in and make tweaks. This is a big worldview shift. When you're writing a paper book and you're having 100,000 copies printed, it's got to be perfect because at some point it's being committed to paper. A whole forest is going to get cut down and you need to make sure that there's no mistakes. Whereas with the blog post, I'll see a blog post from years ago, and I'll go in and tweak it. (laughs) I'll be like, oh, that's wrong, or oh, that needs to be updated. And so an online article is an ever-evolving thing. A good website's more like Wikipedia, where it's constantly being edited, than it is like a paper book. And I found that this is a tough shift for authors, because they feel like once they click publish, somehow it's like an ethical violation to then continue to improve. (laughs) They're like, no, it's published. I can't make any changes now. That's that's a violation of ethics. And like, 
whose ethics? <laughs> like, <laughs> how is that benefiting anyone for that error to stay there on the page? Or w- w- once you find a better way of phrasing what you're trying to f- phrase, why not put that better phrasing on there? Yeah, it's a huge advantage and also takes a little bit of the pressure off, too. That's right. And we'll occasionally have readers point out inaccuracies mm-hmm. and we'll be like, that's a good point. I need to go back and edit it or, or clarify or, oh, I can see how that was unclear. And what's interesting is that we don't do that with the audio. The audio is frozen, mostly because editing the audio is such a hassle. And so the text version, the blog version evolves quite a bit. And sometimes the text version will evolve kind of far away from the audio version. <laughs> if it's a post that gets a lot of attention over time and gets edited a lot, the, the audio is frozen, but the text is not. And we had to just be okay with that in that these are not transcripts. This isn't meant to be a transcript version of the audio. This is a blog post version of the content of the audio. And that's a really important distinction. And it's why our blog is so much more popular than transcript pages of typical podcasts because most humans prefer that work that you're doing to simplify and clarify and add the headings and the bullets. But it does mean that it's different. It's not like a transcript from a court. You're not a court stenographer (laughs) catching every single utterance and every cough for the record, right? Strike that from the record, judge. It's not like that. It's really an adaptation for this different medium. That's a good word. It is an adaptation. And that's kind of one thing I struggled with initially when I first started was trying to maintain accuracy and integrity to try and accurately represent whatever the person said, but knowing there was probably a more concise way to word it. And so I had to wrestle through that a little bit. But the fact that it's not a transcript and it is an adaptation, I feel it gives a little more freedom to just make it more readable. I mean, it's we're readers and I would like to enjoy a piece of reading (laughs) and not have to struggle through it. So another thing AI can't do is add puns or just like funny things. In one of the first articles I did, it it was something about 11 things that Santa can teach us about marketing. And I remember saying, Santa wouldn't do that, but the Grinch would. And so like AI is never going to pick up those kind of things. And those are the things that make the writing connect with humans and make it pleasant to read. (laughs) Yeah, in in many ways, what you're doing with the audio is the act of an amanuensis, which is a, a word that's fallen out of use. So in the days of the Roman Empire, I think it was Cicero had a slave that worked for him who invented shorthand. And some of the shorthand that we still use was invented by this guy. He he, got, he was freed and became very famous in his own right. It's like anytime you write ETC for et cetera, that's from this guy. And I'm hmm. blanking on his name. And so, say, the books of the Bible were written using this method. So, Paul would be there dictating his letter, and the amanuensis would write it down in shorthand, which would be the equivalent of the audio recording. And then he would write it again in regular script and often add kind of his own flourish. Hmm. And we know this because occasionally Paul will pull the quill out of his hand and say, see, as I write this in my own hand, I really mean this in Galatians. And some of the letters in the end, the amanuensis will send his own greetings. So the last chapter of a lot of the letters is like, say hello to so-and-so and and tell so-and-so that I need my cloak back or whatever. So there's (laughs) kind of some interesting stuff at the back that kind of gives you a glimpse into this early world. 
And that letter was crafted with Paul and Emanuensis working together to craft it. And it was Paul's ideas, but it wasn't necessarily all of Paul's words. Sometimes it was. And I imagine he approved it, right? He looked it over and maybe made some corrections. But this approach is an approach that's becoming more popular with authors. Although for a lot of authors, they're both the the dictator and then they're acting as their own amanuensis. <laughs> they're going through the audio version where the first draft of their book is audio. They just dictate it while they're pacing back and forth in their house. And then later they go in and clean it up because this process, Shauna, that you're doing, there's, I could be doing this process if I wanted to spend all of the time that you're spending. I'm very thankful not to have to do that. But for somebody who doesn't have patrons, right? If you're just getting started with a podcast, and you have to do it yourself. It's totally doable for you to do this on your own. And for a lot of podcasts, they find that it's worth it to have that blog version to help grow the audience faster. Yeah, it just increases the shareability, increases the searchability. The visuals are there. I just think it adds a lot of value to the content. And it also repurposes your content because you have come up with this topic or an interview and to have the audio version and then have the blog version. And then you can also offer it as extra credit in a course. And so it's like three birds with one stone a little bit. And those blog posts can be pulled together and turned into eBooks and to reader magnets. And like there's now hundreds of thousands of words <laughs> that have been collected on author media that can be repurposed in various ways. And that's an asset I haven't done much with yet, but I plan to do stuff with more in the future. So stay tuned. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about before you get the audio, going back a little bit. I do an initial content pass and descript where I take out some of the bunny trails and I take out some of the filler and edit it down. So a, a one-hour interview might get edited down to 40 minutes of audio. That's then what goes to William, who then cleans up the audio further and sweetens it and does his processing. And then that version that I create into script also goes to you. Because the way I see it is, if we can remove the five most boring minutes from an interview, <laughs> the, oh, the average interestingness of that interview goes up dramatically. And it makes the episode more appealing. Yes. Finding the five most boring minutes is sometimes tricky. <laughs> sometimes not. It's, sometimes it's like, oh, I went off on this tangent about Genghis Khan that no one's going to care about except for me. Let me just cut that whole thing. <laughs> so are you doubly offended when I then cut something large from your cut version? <laughs> Like, wait a second, that wasn't boring. That was interesting. I kind of like that there's Easter eggs and that the audio version is a little bit longer because I see the audio listeners as more interested in wanting that kind of more in-depth with a little bit more of the color and the context, whereas blog readers are just wanting to get straight to the facts. Because otherwise, like, why bother having an audio version if it's just word for word the same? I want there to be something special in the podcast version because I enjoy the podcast version. I, I'm a podcast first kind of person. And so I don't want to make the podcast version not worth listening to. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree. So any tips or encouragement for somebody who has a podcast episode and they're thinking about giving this a shot? They're thinking about taking a 30-minute episode and turning it into a blog post. Well, I would say first, just give yourself some grace and realize it's going to take you a while. I have done the math on this several times. Generally, on that first pass, it takes me about an hour to edit, reword, rewrite, rearrange 10 minutes of audio. So if you are looking to create a blog post out of your 30-minute podcast, 
allow yourself three hours at least, and probably more for the first time to get the hang of it. And it takes a while. And it's just how it is. You just wade through it one sentence at a time. So I guess allow yourself enough time. And then I think as I've done it over the years, I feel like I do get a little bit faster or maybe it's just also becoming more familiar with the way that you speak. I can see where you're going or I know I'm going to be able to delete this line or whatever. So I'm sure that you would hear your own things if you were listening to or editing your own transcript. I also think it would be very hard. And I can't say that I'm very much looking forward to editing my own <laughs> transcript this <laughs> this week. So we'll see. I will I will tell you how hard it is to edit your own words. It is worth it, though. This process, while it is painful, I do think and if you're starting a, a podcast, I've, I've, I recommend this in my course on podcasting. Do your own podcast editing for the first few episodes. If you have to hear every time you say, um, and delete it out, it will cause you to say, um, less. If you start to identify what your filler phrases are, that's really useful. And if you never do that, you never really get a chance to improve. And so, yes, at some point you surround yourself with a team and these are things that are very outsourceable, but have your fingers in the pie still. <laughs> so you're still involved because it does help improve learning how to take a podcast episode and turn it into a blog post will help make that original podcast episode better, right? Because you're like, gosh, I went on for a really long time on this tangent. I can't find a heading for this tangent. Was that tangent too long, <laughs> right? Like these are, and maybe it wasn't, but maybe it was. And, and that back and forth will help you hone your communication, especially when you combine it with feedback from the audience. Because that's another advantage of a blog is that people don't, comment on podcasts. There's no real easy way to comment on a podcast, but a blog has a comment section right there at the bottom. And most of our commenters for episodes are blog readers, not podcast listeners. The podcast listeners will email me back sometimes when we send out the email version, but the blog readers tend to be the ones who leave comments at authormedia.com. And sometimes they're really helpful comments. We had one on book cover design and a commenter said something like a whole post and not a single book cover or something like that. And I thought, yeah, we really <laughs> dropped the ball, dropped the book cover on that one. So anyway, we there was helpful feedback and we went back and added those book covers. And I think it really increased the value of the post. So if you want to connect with Shauna and pick her brain, you can find her at authormedia.social. <laughs> Since she's had to listen to all of my episodes multiple times, she is often the one with the answers to people's questions there on authormedia.social. And are you looking for more work? Like if somebody wanted to hire you, or are you open for more projects or are you full? I would consider, but I am pretty near maxed out, but I may consider a project or two. Okay, and if people want to contact you directly, where can they find you? Well, they can contact me at my personal website, which is shauna at shaunaletler.com. Or if you'd like something that's easier to say and spell, you could just go to remarkablehope.com. That's my book title. And it's much easier to spell than my name, and it'll take you to the same website. <laughs> Although, if you go to the blog post version for this episode and find Shauna Lettler, you'll find it in blue underlined text. And if you click on it, it'll take you straight to her website. You can get there that way too. <laughs> yeah, that's the perk of having a blog post version. Shauna Lettler, thank you so much for joining us today on the Novel Marketing Podcast. It's been my pleasure. If you want more help with your podcast or with your blog, 
I encourage you to check out my course, Obscure No More. This has everything I have to teach on platform building, whether it's being a guest on someone else's podcast, hosting your own podcast, writing your own blog, building your own email list, speaking on stages, PR, it covers the works. And you can find out more about it at authormedia.com. And I'd also like to thank our new patrons, Lauren Luce, Michael Ratner, Robin Curtin, Emily H., Amanda Ellis, Brandon, and F. Ted Atchley. Thank you so much for helping keep this podcast on the air. We could not do this without your support. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. Our guest today was Shauna Lettler, who is also the person who crafted the blog post version, which you can find at authormedia.com slash 370. The audio editing is by William Umstadt. Our producer is Lori Christine. And I'm your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr., saying thank you for listening and live long and prosper.